Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I am with both my brothers, Christian Lewis and Jeremy Sartori, today. So it is a brother, full-on brother, brother, brother podcast, and I'm glad that we brought our full uh, artillery because it is a big, gigantic subject we're tackling today. Fifty years ago this month, the Beatles broke up, and which is insane. Um, but uh, so uh, where do you guys stand? Uh, you think... Well, I'm Beatles. not over it, if that's what Bu- you're asking. Are you buying or selling the Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm holding. Um, yeah, welcome to uh, welcome to Morning Bell on CNBC, where we discuss... Um, yeah, no, I, I think uh, this is still the... the you know, I, I, their, their breakup is still, is still a tragedy, right? Like, um, I, I think, you know, they didn't make a bad album in their entire run they accomplished more than any other band uh ever has and did it in a shorter period of time than any band that got close um and they were incredibly productive and creative i think right until the very end uh and you know it it does it's the ultimate it's the ultimate example of of um the the sort of the band that that um calls for the question you know would it have been better to stick around and and sort of maybe overstay their welcome would it would it have even been possible to overstay their welcome um and you know i i think there's certainly no evidence that they could have done it uh there's not even evidence that they could have made a flawed record frankly so yeah um, the two things i like to the two the the statistic, or I guess not even a statistic, but the, the sort of uh, nugget I always like to pull out is, you know, it's 2020 right now. If the Beatles broke up today, they would have formed in 2013. Yeah. Right. Um, and put out, yes, yeah, so. tw- you know, 12 albums in that period. I think, too, there is a benefit of the breakup. So as much as it pained everybody when it happened or, you know, it was a shock to the system. And, and I think the Beatles are one of those groups that, rightfully so, that everybody goes through a, a Beatles phase. I'm, I'm actually kind of curious to see if that's still the case with my daughters. And I think it will be. Like, I think they'll tap into the Beatles songs because you just do. Um, around the time maybe you uh, start smoking pot or <laughs> just listening to, to different music or whatever. But... um. But I think, too, it was a band that didn't have a chance to really fuck up either because it was such a tight, like, lightning-in-a-bottle type situation. I mean, the the years of playing in Hamburg, so there was a whole chapter prior to, to this output um, that where they honed their skills and then the kind of workmanlike, um, you know, efficiency of the records and then obviously mega success and, and kind of experimentation. But, you know, if you want to say, like, there's a couple tracks that, you know, uh, alluded to maybe a little too much experimentation here and there, that's about all you can all you can say for them. And, and having broken up, they didn't have the opportunity to, like, you know, be the Rolling Stones where you put out, you know, you have a, a period of greatness and then you have, yeah, exactly, just <laughs> some embarrassment, you know. So, so to put your to put your 2013 framing into context, um, I uh, I you know just just pulled up the the top 50 albums of 2013. Um, so this is uh, uh, the first record by Danny Brown, um, the first record by Lord, uh, Disclosure's first album. Um, so for any of those acts, uh, get to work. Yeah, we, Lord has two albums. To you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, an interesting uh, sort of, sort of, you know, there are 
industry reasons for this as well, of course, which is that, you know, record contracts um, in the 1960s were, were just structured very differently than they are today. You would, you would sign up um, for, uh, for four albums or five albums, um, and if during the course of that run you hit it big, um, you know, this is, there's some parallels here, I think, to, uh, to Scotty Pippen's contract that we were talking about earlier because we've all been watching The Last Dance. Um, but if you hit it big during the course of that run, uh, you know, you're still getting paid, um, you know, pennies uh, for, you know, be, be, to, to clear out the end of your contract. And, and so, of course, what that does is incentivizes groups to to get back into the studio and record just a whirlwind of albums. Um, and it's also the reason that there were so many more covers and, like, filler songs, uh, because, you know, you need 12 tracks to get an album out, um, and so you would just re-record something that somebody had done 10 years earlier, um, sort of put your stamp on it and get it out the door, um, which explains, of course, why in 1964, I guess, the Beatles had a four-album run, right, um, <laughs> in a calendar year. Which is just unthinkable these days. That's a career uh, for most people. I, I also think yeah. that you know you, you you know and we we all watch Soundbreaking. We all sort of you know uh, understand that the evolution of um, uh, recorded music in in the studio and uh, producing music production is evolving during this run. So you know most of the the bulk of their first you know the bulk of their initial output is live to tape. Um, yep. and out the door. Probably took yes. longer to press the records than it did to record the albums. That's definitely true in the case of Please Please Me, which took 13 hours to record. Really? That is pretty good. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a, pretty that's insane. A, that's a decent hit rate. What's a, I wonder what the... Um, you know, if you really economizing down, on studio time in that, yeah, in that context. What the, what the breakdown of earnings was to... Uh, to those 13 hours. <laughs> With the return on each five minutes of work was. An hour. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no so it's extraordinary. It, you know, it's I mean, funny, because you, you do, you know, you think of a seven-year period, and, and any seven-year period in your life, you know, you're going to change a fair amount, but these guys were kids when they got together. I mean, they were four kids from Liverpool, and, you know, by the time they had split up, they were, I believe all of them were still under 30, and... Um, you know, it had taken dramatically different paths um, and were afforded the opportunity by... It's basically, you know, your your first band breaks up, you're not 30 yet, and you have more money than you can ever get rid of. Right. And more fam- most famous people on Earth. And I, I think, too, that is the other thing that's kind of cool about the Beatles and this run in particular is not only do you catch that early kind of, you know, um, beginning hit maker, British invasion, you know, taking also a lot of covering of, of American, you know, African-American music, and then all the way through to, to Let It Be in Abbey Road, where, you know, to your point, when the culture has just shifted completely, you know, in, in 60, mm-hmm. from 67 to 70. Um, and, you know, and there's not too many bands that you can kind of time capsule like that, that you can hear the evolution. I mean, obviously these guys were extreme talents, John Lennon, you know, George Harrison and, and, and Paul McCartney, obviously, you know, all bringing great songwriting and great songs into the equation. So it is like that perfect kind of sports team or whatever that, you know, it is the, the last dance team there. But, um, but you have like, 
you know, you think about the Stones, right? I mean, they sort of came off of this and then they, they went into some, some different directions, but there's not that time capsule for any of those other, like, iconic classic rock bands. I mean, I guess Bob Dylan, people like that, but even Dylan has his own sound that sort of stayed within that sound. He didn't really do a psychedelic record. He did do a Christian record once, but um, right. that's, well, what, that's what happens when you don't break up with yourself. <laughs> it's almost like uh, if, you, if you imagine sort of a tetherball or something, right? Like, it, it's, you, you know, you're... you're there's still a core, like in the case of Bob Dylan or the Stones, it's like there's that there's that sort of central hub, and then everything else they do is like a sort of variation on that, and and you know, but retains some of those essential characteristics or qualities. Whereas like the Beatles, just it's just a different band making different music. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it is, you know, it's the same people, but but I think uh, it's it's really it's rare, it, and it may not even be appropriate to say that it's rare it may be that it's that it's actually unique to this this band um but that they you know sort of project on the sort of larger cultural landscape um the fact that it was an era in which like it it was an era of like many sort of sub uh you know like self-contained um sort of sub periods right like and and i think in some respects like this last decade may end up seeming very similar over the long run um but you know you really did see this transition from like eisenhower's leave it to beaver america um you know into like the the depths of of you know the the jungle and in south vietnam over the course of eight years well the shift Um, from black and white to color yeah, and yep. it just seems like a completely different place. Everything seems different. Every cultural touch point seems different. And and I think, you know, the the same can certainly be true of of that first uh first run of of albums. Um so, so please th- please me uh with the Beatles a hard day's night and, you know, and then sort of that that last run um that includes Let It Be and, and Abbey Road. It's just it, they just seem so far apart from one another it's really well, incredible it's also kind of what you were talking about early on with the record structure it's singles versus albums i think too where you have the early albums are albums and we've kind of all recently gone back and 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 listened to these and and uh or or maybe you know continually listen to them but you know it's very single driven and then you get into the album as an album and that kind of led into the 70s which Correct me if I'm wrong. When became kind of the album decade, right? I mean, that's when mm-hmm. albums became yeah, kind of. I mean, you, you usually cite Sgt. Pepper and Pet Sounds um, as the beginning of the sort of album era, right? Where it was so about a concept and a, you know a full listen, as opposed to just kind of pumping out singles. Song cycle, as opposed as a as a as a holistic. Uh, entity rather than a collection of singles put together. And, you know, but, you know, getting back to, you know, the the nature of why we're talking about this now, uh, which was the breakup in April of 1970, um, you know, seven years of, or, you know, really nine years of being together, seven years of, of creative output, and albums and you know but at the tail end of this you look you know you go back and you watch the rooftop concert which turned out to be um the the final performance the beatles ever did the the concert on the uh roof of apple records in london that was uh broken up by the police 
and um, you know you've got these, you know you got these scraggly looking hippies, one in you know lime green pants and a fur coat, long hair. Um, everybody's kind of, um, you know, by all reports and, and by watching Let It Be and everything else, everyone's sort of at each other. But God, they still kicked ass as a as a as a band right then. Yeah, I mean, just the and I might have this backwards, but I don't think I do. Just the fact that they recorded Let It Be, and that was kind of supposed to be a, a back to, you know, live kind of sound, and then didn't love it, and turned around and, like, completely recorded Abbey Road and put it out first. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I mean, that's amazing, you know, right there. It's like... Uh, and that was know. the that was sort of the initial um, heavy-handed, you know, Phil Spector uh mm-hmm production quality right that that let it be um so if, and correct me on the timeline if i'm wrong but it but they went in to record um let it be at, at abbey road studios uh and you know specter was was invited to sort of work on those tapes um and i guess i i've I've heard, I don't know if this is apocryphal, but McCartney say that he didn't know that Spectre was coming in initially um, and that it was sort of, like, coordinated, I guess, without his express approval. Um, this was sort of part of the story that, that accompanied uh, the release of Let It Be Naked, um, which, of course, you know, was, the, was a much more recent update to their catalog, which mm-hmm. had sort of peeled back a lot of the production that, that Spectre had uh, put on the album. And by the way, which is awesome. Um, I mean, they're both great. Yeah. Uh, but um, and and so I think you know it's just what you what you realize is that at, by that point, by nineteen sixty nine, I guess late nineteen sixty nine, um, you know the there had just been all of these sort of different sources of politics and acrimony and like it's not it was never the business it was never the money because they all. You know, they all had, had done so extraordinarily well. It really, it really did sort of feel authentically like creative differences, um, as the cliche. You it, know, it was and it wasn't. There after. was a there was a lot of business involved, and in fact, um, you know, it, depending on what um, period of romanticism you're talking about, retrospectively looking at it, um, I'd say at the time it was largely seen as a business uh, issue and wh- what it was was an underlying you know sort of uh, intolerance for one another and you know just uh, everybody kind of growing apart and there were musical differences and you know John Lennon you know famously calling uh, um, you know McCartney's music uh, old people music um, but it was also, you know, uh, Paul McCartney met Linda Eastman and wanted her father and brother to manage the band and to run Apple, uh, John Lennon. After Epstein. Yes, after Epstein's suicide, after Brian Epstein's suicide. And um, John Lennon and George Harrison, um, and I'm not sure where Ringo uh ended up in this <laughs> argument, but they wanted... Oh, Shining Time Station. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, they wanted Albert Klein uh, to come in 
and manage them, Albert Klein being the Rolling Stones business manager, a notoriously ruthless, um, you know, the, the Stones are notorious for having every penny they ever earned yeah. wrung out of everything. I mean, I, you know, we've talked Minus about the, the verb, yeah. <laughs> symphony uh, before, um, you know, that was his legacy. You know, he could... Uh, he wasn't really yeah, he like could. a Peter Grant, Led Zeppelin type, where it was, you know, um, the Suge Knight school of, of intimidation. Uh, Klein was more just, you know, litigious and nasty and signed. Vigilant. Yeah, and, you know, it was, it can, you know, worked. He'll call you every two hours to ask you whether, the, you know, where the check is. Waged, waged <laughs> war through, through contracts. Um, yeah. That said, uh, so there was this... Um, you know, sort of tug of war over um, Apple, the company, which was not, which was being very poorly run um, by the members of the band. Um, so, to whom you hand over um, this? And during that argument, you know, things got testy. Um, you know, John Lennon started insisting that everybody, that Yoko Ono, uh, represent him at band meetings, and yeah. sit, he sat there silent. Which would be enough enough for me to take my guitar and go home too. So. Yeah, no kidding. So so basically, John Lennon uh, orchestrates or you know orchestrates or is the architect of this escape plan where he's going to um, jettison himself because he's the you know the true original, and blah blah blah, and. Um, in the middle of, of his designing his perfect escape, McCartney puts out a press release saying that the band is done. Yeah, I always knew that McCartney kind of stole the, you know, it was, it was basically his fuck you back to John Lennon. Um, and I also think, too, like, I mean, any the amount of time and fame that these guys dealt with and the just sheer talent of John Lennon and Paul McCartney, and, and you know, you can throw George Harrison in there, too, who I still think has the best solo work. Um, but like, you know, it, there's no way it was going to last. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's That's just a pretty you know, explosive cauldron. Yeah. Of, of talent. Definitely. And, like super talented and just different enough where I think, you know, you, they obviously did go in their respective directions. And, um, but I also, um, think too, you know, and, and this might be some of the George Harrison doc. And then there was a pretty good article years back on Rolling Stone on the, on this breakup. But, um, you know, Paul McCartney also had kind of like a, a more sort of business-like approach to making albums, too. I think he kind of, you know, wanted to continue to pump out material. And, and I know Harrison and the doc was kind of just tired, like, you know, wanted he was into meditation and doing different things and wanted time away. And I think yeah. John Lennon, likewise, wanted a little time um, or wanted to do it at his own pace a little bit, too. And so there was definitely some tension there as well. It's funny. I, I often think that, and you know, I'm reading into this because I've never really seen this. Um, you know, spelled out explicitly in, in anything I've read. Um, but I've always sort of, you know, in analyzing the music at the end, you know, between Let It Be and Abbey Road, if you listen to McCartney's bass playing on those records, it's so intricate and so, like, he's so all over the place, and it's it's amazing. But... I, you know, I also wonder if he was sick of playing bass for these two guitar players when he was probably right. the better, best guitar player in the band. Yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah, they kind of, I think, got stuck. And, you know, George Harrison obviously was had to have been unhappy just getting a song or two each yeah. album. Well, he had inner peace. Um, he had the Maharishi, uh, Maharashi, um, he did. 
and uh, he, all the Eastern philosophy he could he could take. But um, yeah, no, I, I I think that was absolutely true. The uh, um, George Harrison was kind of getting choked out and uh, not too happy about it. it. It's interesting though because I mean there there's if you think about different models for um, you know successful sort of band chemistry I, I I always have trouble placing this one um, and I think you know the there was something sort of um, I, I think uh, outrageous and and um, sort of almost preposterous about the you know about the Rolling Stones uh, strutting around stage um, they were all sort of such ostensibly big egos um, but they seem to like each other pretty well uh, and, you know, by contrast, you have um, a, a sort of modern powerhouse and a, a band like Radiohead. I know you guys just um, just recently recorded uh, the, the uh, Ben's anniversary um, podcast episode. And, you know, they are nothing if not rules-oriented and um, orderly in their in their collaborations on these albums. And it seems to me that there's a sort of um, there is a structure and an order to the way that these guys uh, interacted with one another. It might not have been, you know, too explicit, but but they seem to have just an incredible um, sense for for one another and sort of how far you could push uh, and challenge your bandmates without without sort of crossing that line in a way that would be. Um, permanent maybe you want to rile people up and, and sort of provoke them um, but you don't want to do it to the point that anybody actually walks out and doesn't come back yeah uh, I, and and that it's that's it's that sort of perfect like perfectly calibrated um, sensitivity to sort of where the where the limit is uh, that allowed them to produce like right on the frontier for for every uh, for you know everything they put out right I think uh, two things one is that Every person in this band had quit the band at some point. Um, you know, George Harrison, I think, quit after uh, um, for the first time after Sgt. Pepper. And um, but the, one of the thing, one of the key differentiators is that uh, you know, with the Rolling Stones, all songs are written by Mick and Keith, and they they famously have a, a, a you know um, sort Love of hate. a. a yeah, it's a love-hate relationship, and they don't really hang out much. You um, two and REM, two other very long-lasting bands, have made a decision from the very beginning that all songwriting royalties went to every member of the band—a very um, equal partnership, which I think is, you know, an extremely big part of of how they've stayed together for so long. The Beatles—it was Lennon-McCartney uh, as a partnership. Um, also as a rivalry, and then George Harrison trying to sort of squeeze in as he got older. You know, I mean, he was the youngest member of the band uh, as he matured and into a songwriter in his own right. So there was, you know, not only was there ego and, and rivalry creatively, but there was ego and rivalry professionally. You know, the, the, the money was unequal. Um, uh, not, to, not to say that all of them weren't rich beyond their wildest imagination but they uh you know credit and and um and uh income were disparate in this case yeah that i mean that 
definitely. Well, and I think too, you also had a circumstance where you have a lot of the bands you, you both just name checked don't have two strong front men. You know, this, this is, I think that's yeah. a weird dynamic that you don't have anything else. Like Keith can't sing, you know, but he can write um, great you don't songs. Have the songwriting ability, like, yeah. possessed. And right. I mean, any single one of the, even Ringo. Right, like, like let's even Ringo could write a song pretty damn well, um, yeah. and they weren't, uh, you know, uh, maybe of equal quality. But I think it's always unfair to um, to give him short shrift. I mean, he's a phenomenal talent, and mm-hmm. and I think any one of those guys is the successful leader of uh, yeah their own of a band that's like purpose built as a vehicle for their for their you know. Um, sort of leadership and they all could say any other world so the fact that they were able to hang together is just like it it doesn't make sense (laughs) yeah even Ringo after the after the breakup you know winds up playing on everyone's records and um, you know people are still you know George Harrison wrote Ringo's biggest hit two of his two biggest hits Um, and uh, you know so it's you know there was a collegiality between Ringo and everybody else but you know I think um, and, you know, I think... That's what we call non-threatening. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, as time went on, though, you know, there was a lot of speculation, you know, and, and of course, you know, Lennon being killed, uh, murdered in 1980, which was tragic, um, that, you know, the, the, the ice melted between those guys pretty significantly by the time John Lennon was murdered. Anyway, you want to take a quick break and come back and talk specifically about uh, albums and music by the Beatles? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, today we are talking about uh, the Beatles. And um, we have gone 150 plus episodes without uh, just having a, uh, an episode solely focused on the Beatles. So it was high time Too we hard. talked about this band. Yeah, there might be more. But um, what I wanted to do as a weird, quick exercise is just uh, rank 
uh, your top five albums. And I think it's going to be sort of, a, I mean, if I was guessing, I would say we probably, um, give or take one, have the same albums in different order. But uh, and, and frankly, I will say that um, my favorite and my top five has evolved frequently over the past uh, 40, 50 years since the Beatles broke up and I was born. Um, so they also, um, I think, are the embodiment of uh, of the philosophy that guides our um, our playlist, which is every single time I listen to a Beatles album, um, I'm prepared to like die on the cross, <laughs> saying that this is the best one that they made, um, and there's nothing ever made that has been better than that. So I know we we, we uh, went through that with the Benz, where like. You know, my favorite Radiohead album is The Benz, Every Time The Benz Is On. Yes. So yeah. what's your number five, Christian? Uh, my number five is, and this this may be an outlier for, for the group and all three lists, I think, but um, it is their debut. It's Please Please Me, uh, 1963. Um, and I think, you know, part of part of what gets me is really the, the lore um, and just the confidence that this band had going into their inaugural recording session. So, you know, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, um, it was recorded in a single 13-hour sprint, um, and it sounds like it. There is a certain sort of uh, frantic, you know, I think pretty pretty intensive um, pace to, to, this, to this record, uh, and it's just there's so much raw energy um, as, they're, as they're really plowing through what amounts to a stage repertoire um and it's it's you know of, of sort of jumpy pop songs that i think captures like how tight they were how good they were um how prepared they were how confident they were uh you know in spite of the fact that the songs themselves might not have the depth and complexity that that um some of their later stuff does uh and i'll i'll you know resist the the temptation to compare it to an aged wine of some kind uh, you know but I, I think like the, the 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 point is you know these are these are relatively simple tunes um, but the, but no one else recorded them this well uh, no one else sounded this good doing it and and I think it really is um, you know kind of the the first uh, it, it's 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 apparent even then um, that this this band is a cut above I buy that Jer, what's your number five? Uh, so my number five is the self-titled album, The Beatles, um, 1968, also known as The White Album. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, obviously it's The White Album, right? Weirdness. Amazing songs. Yeah, weirdness. It's kind of, to me, you know, where Sgt. Pepper kicked off the sort of psychedelic, well, I should say even like Revolver kicked off the psychedelic kind of move and shift into experimentation. But, uh you know, the White Album is almost like a rite of passage, and um, it's firmly number five for me. Yeah, my number five is Rubber Soul, uh, 1965. Kind of, I think, where they go from being the mop tops to, you know, more personal songwriting. Um, I think, uh, you know, a couple of my favorite, um, You Won't See Me, which, you know, is just a blueprint for every power pop song ever written um in my life which i think is you know uh sentimental and almost veers into um so sentimental it hurts but it doesn't it's a perfect song 
um, if I needed someone as a great, you know, sort of updating of their early catalog, um, you know, the great harmonies and, and rubber soul, I think is where they, you know, like I said, where I think they make the, the move from, you know, sort of, uh, teen favorites to, you know, sort of what becomes a more sophisticated and, uh, you know, deeper, um, songwriting in a, I will, in a better uh, band. So I'll, I'll piggyback on this a little bit because Rubber Soul is actually my number four. Um, so it, it, we're sort of continuing the wraparound, uh, yeah, wraparound no list here. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think sure. you're absolutely right to say that this is sort of the milestone um, album that that sees, you know, that, that uh, initiates the transition from the sort of pop bliss and like saccharine, you know, teen Beatlemania stuff to... Um, really more sophisticated songwriting and, and more depth. And I think, you know, this album obviously Personal, inspired yeah. a ton of artists like, um, you know, Brian Wilson, uh, and, um, everybody in the whole wide world. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, in particular, it was like, it was what set off that rivalry that caused Wilson to make bad sounds, which then caused the Beatles to record Sergeant Peppers. Um, so you know, and I think you you make a really great point in the the about the um, the personalization of songwriting, and I think the the word is has always stood out to me because it's the first time I think um, that they're that they describe love as a sort of notional as like a concept um, rather mm. than uh, rather than being a sort of descriptor in a narrative. Um, and so the idea mm-hmm. that they get into more me- metaphorical songwriting um, here, you know, which of course just like opens up an entirely new universe of of potential for for Harrison, uh, McCartney, and Lennon. I agree. Yeah, it's a, Jay, what's it's your a great number four. One. So in my number four is Abbey Road. I'll throw in one more thing for Rubber Soul though, because it's my number three, so we don't have to go back to it. <laughs> and uh, basically. Um, you know, it's also a time, I, and the story goes, that Dylan, who they were a big fan of in that, you know, famous tour of his in England where he was just kind of a, a jerk. The Don't Look Back. But, um, the documentary, Don't Look Back. But one of the things that he kind of, you know, said to these guys, like, you know, get serious. Like, you don't write anything serious. And that was a big turning point, too. You know, somebody they idolized. Kind uh, of Bob Dylan sounds like So their dick. answer to that was, <laughs> yeah. baby, you can drive my car. Um, and <laughs> he... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Think for yourself. But I think songs like Nowhere Man and stuff like that are definitely those attempts. But yeah, so my number four, though, is Abbey Road. And I know that's much higher for you guys. Um, it's not because like you could interchange any of these, really, right? Um, it's just one that I, 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 I find that I uh, played so much <laughs> that I, it just sort of shifted down my list for no other reason <laughs> than that. Um, but, you know, come together, you know, the whole side too, which we've talked about just being, you know, a collage of, of amazing, um, you know, songs and, and, uh, came in, you know, mm-hmm. where it kind of like really hit me when I first heard it was like when it blasted into she came in through the bedroom window, you know, Song suite. bathroom window, um, into golden slumbers, carry that weight, you know, it's just a, a, a classic, kind of let's throw everything at the kitchen, you know, everything in the kitchen sink and it works. Um, and also as, you know, one of my favorite, uh, favorite Harrison songs as well with, um, Jesus. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. Yeah. So, and and, something. Uh, 
Actually, I was going to say, you threw Here Comes the Sun, one of my favorite something, one of my favorite Harrison songs, being the one. Um, and so it's, it's a great album. We talked about how it was kind of recorded after Let It Be earlier, and I know it's uh, probably one or two for you guys. It is up there. It's my it, number two, actually. Um, and it's my number one. Your number one, yeah. So uh, yeah. I think... We'll just have to ask the audience to trust that we will actually um, cross all five off each of our lists here. Um, but, uh, you know, there have been times where I've said, you never give me your money is, is, uh, is maybe their best song. Um, I'm not sure I would, yeah. I would go down for that right now, but, but it's, uh, it's definitely up there. Um, and, you know, I think, yeah, Paul McCartney's achievement in that, what is it, like 15, 16 minutes, something like that. That that sort of sweet yeah. medley um, on side two is just like it's out of control. It's I mean, also it's it's a call, Tchaikovsky. Call. It's like it's truly the greats ever. You know, it's a flex. Yeah, yeah, it's a flex. That's exactly <laughs> right. And I would say, like you know, I, just a call back to my comment earlier about his bass playing getting restless. That song suite, that second side song suite, just concentrate on the bass at some point throw it on concentrate on the bass and you're it's kind of mind-blowing i've got 15 minutes to kill after this <laughs> yeah yeah so I, anyway it's my number one uh something and he, um here comes the sun uh i think great george harrison um you know it i wish they had ended with the end because it would have been the last song they recorded as a band um as you, uh, as you mentioned before, Jared, uh, Abbey Road was recorded after Let It Be, but rec- but released before it. And so that was always kind of a, a strange, um, you know, postscript, uh, you know, that, that, you know, because Let It Be has a documentary and it does sound like a band falling apart, a little bit more falling apart, whereas Abbey Road sounds like such a f- focus uh, focused, you know, sort of mission-driven album. Um, it's kind of hard to imagine that this was a band at the end of their tether, but it was. Abbey Road sounds like the follow-up to the White Album. You yeah. Know, where Let It Be, to your point, sounds... I love it, and it's ranked a little higher for me, but it almost disjointed a little bit. Yeah. Like a bunch of songwriters. Well, and doing it, it is. Things. And I will... I mean, I think in every way it is, you know, um, from the production to... It just it feels like it's so out of step. It's 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 clear these guys are, are heading in, in their own directions. It's, it's funny, yeah, like I said, it, it doesn't... I wouldn't have guessed that they were recorded in the order they were recorded. And I will just end the uh, Abbey Road conversation with a, a comment I've made many times before, which is that Golden Slumbers is the most beautiful song ever written about eye boogers. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, all right. Uh, so You're number three. Is that where we are? Okay. Mine are... Have you both? Yeah, you have you have you both done your number fours? My number four was uh, Rubber oh. Soul. I think you have to throw out your number Jer- four. Yeah, Abbey Road, and the minus minus Let It Be. Okay, um, and uh, we will discuss that. F- we can open up a discussion on Let It Be right now if you'd like. Um, I, I think it's uh, it's it does sound like a band exhausted, and I love the. Um, I particularly always loved Two of Us, and um, I've got a feeling, uh, the sort of, I guess, the duet, essentially, of yeah. um, McCartney and Lennon, which which sound like two guys that are sick of each other who are perfect for each other. Um, it has so many good songs on it. Um, 
you know, Across the Universe is beautiful. Let It Be is a beautiful song. Um, I've got a feeling it's just fucking like, awesome. That's I, yeah. I love. I've got a feeling in one after nine oh nine. Yeah, I actually the you know one. Of, I have to say I've never been a huge The Long and Winding Road fan, um, yeah, and that's probably understood. why Let It Be didn't make it the, onto my the Billy top five. Preston. It is why it's my number four. Yeah, it it honestly it never had to happen. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> this could have been a very Extraordinary it's, it's a long and, long and winding album. Dud. It's not a bad song. It's oh, come on. fine. If there is such a thing it's fine. for the Beatles. <laughs> it's fine. It's it's stairway. Yeah, yeah. but less less awesome. <laughs> it's not bad. I just yeah, I think Let It Be's a tight record, <laughs> and I. Uh, I jumped it to number two for that reason, just because I, you know, I came to it later too. I think it's like, for some reason, the other albums just seem to be like in the Beatles, uh, you know, kit that you get when you're 13 or whatever. Um, and let it be, I think people generally maybe didn't like as much as some of the other stuff, even though it's excellent. And, uh, and so it's one that I, I just, it just was less familiar to me. It's kind of an adult album. I didn't hear yeah, it is. It's, well, it's yeah, perfect for the 70s, right? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because when I think about, you know, when you're, the Beatles really do have a sort of arc in your life. I mean, when you're a little kid, you're singing Yellow Submarine, Octopus's Garden. Oh, bloody. Um, right. You know, oh, bloody. Yeah. I mean, I my favorite, I actually had a single that was uh, two, you know, like um, one side was Bulldog and the other one was All Together Now. I- and, um, had a had like two a, of my favorite songs as a kid. Had like a kids singing Beatles songs, like the complete Quality. tape set. No, no, no. It was like oh, you did. Yeah, no. That was my actual. That was like my first introduction to it. Was like it was the complete Beatles discography, but as sung by children. Um, it's Ooh. actually is it's pretty horrible in retrospect. Um, but it also was the only thing I ever listened to for the first like six years of my life. So, yeah. Um. I, I think I I love Let It Be. Um, I love the keyboard tones in it. I love you know the sort of like I said it, it sounds people sound exhausted, but it it's got that great quality of sounding um, you know burnt out and and you know it's got a looser feel to it than almost anything the Beatles ever did. Yeah, it's the um, waking up the the morning after a rough party. Um, mm-hmm. If you are a supremely if you are a supremely talented uh, musician, instead of sitting down at the piano and hammering something out, um, and uh, I think that's yeah, that that does capture the the feel of it pretty perfectly. It's it's funny that Jerry, you said that this was one you came upon later, and it was one that I came upon later. But for me, later was like the beginning of high school for the Beatles. Um, so this was sort of like my last discovery, but it was also, um, you know, late discovery meant 14 years old. So quickly, I guess, uh, you know, we got to, uh, wrap things up rather uh, swiftly, but so my number three is, uh, the Beatles, the white album. Mine too. And, oh, it is good. It was, uh, released the week I was born and that's, that's why, uh, it's honestly most most years I would maybe say this was my favorite, but it you know 
Um, I've been listening to a lot of Abbey Road and a lot of Revolver lately. Um, but uh, going back to the White Album, it's got, like, two very distinct four-song runs that I think are as good as anything that's ever happened. Um, you know, with uh, While My Guitar Gently Weaves, Happiness is a Warm Gun, Martha, My Dear, and I'm So Tired. Yeah, I would agree and with that. And then, you know, um, Even Mother actually, Nature's I would Son, say, everybody. I would say Through Blackbird. Um, and then I would stop yeah, at Piggies. <laughs> yeah, Piggies always drives me crazy. It's such a showstopper. And then on the on the other side, uh, uh, Mother Nature's Son. Everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey. Sexy, Sexy Sadie. Sadie and Helter Skelter yeah. is like a great four song run that I just I will never ever ever be anything but in love with. Yeah. Yeah, Helter Skelter in particular, just being getting into music via the kind of the punk and louder rock avenue it just always blew me away just how like ferocious that song it's is it's so yeah. aggressive for how for, early uh, that is you know, yeah. In um, yeah i also i also you know paul saw paul mccartney and i'm going you know a number of years ago but he was probably 70 or you know late 60s and that song he doesn't lose any ground on that song i mean he rips into that song as uh, currently it like he always like, you know it sounds like the day he recorded it it's in pretty amazing Shouting, yeah. yeah yeah there's actually cool. a pretty great quote somewhere about paul mccartney i think it was an anthology describing um describing that as a response to uh or his writing that as a response to pete townsend who told him that they just made the raunchiest like loudest and you know sort of most outrageous rock and roll album ever and uh, McCartney went into the studio and <laughs> and tore that off. <laughs> nice. um, yeah, which I thought was pretty cool. And, you know, Kid took on such a, a second meaning with the Manson family, you know, using it as a sort of, um, you know, hallmark for their uh, violence. It was It's pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, that song has lived on. Um, so the number two, what are both of your number two and one? Give them at the same, you know, give them together. Christian, what's your two and one? So two is Abbey Road and one is Revolver for me. Yeah, and so for me, the aforementioned Let It Be, which we talked about, and then Revolver is also my number one. For me, it's Revolver and Abbey Road. So Revolver is the consensus if we were actually, you know, quantifying this and doing a ranking, Revolver would be their greatest album. Yes, definitively. And I would have... Um, I yeah. would have no argument with that. Yeah, I really, I think that it's like, no. it's, if they if they had uh, condensed um, and concentrated the sort of the power and the best parts of, of, uh, of the White Album um, into, you know, a, a sort of tightly wound 14 track record, I think this would, this would be it. You know, it's, it's um, the, the, like Sgt. Pepper's maybe the most, challenging and like complex and and interesting um from a musical standpoint but i think from like from you know if if you're if you're trying to find that sort of equilibrium between like listenability um and like pop sensibility and just like really profound rock and roll um this is it you know yeah it straddles both sides of their genius too i think it's the one that you know, you have the experimentation, the sort of psychedelic edge with the tight, to your point, the, the, the tight pop song kind of all wound up and, and tends to be the one that I can... And it, I, I mean, I can listen to any of these over and over again, but it, it's the 
best one to put on side A, side B, and just burn through. Yeah, that herky jerky start with Taxman into you know the sort of beautiful balladry of of, of and sort of uh, melancholy of Eleanor Rigby. Um, I mean, you know, obviously here, there, and everywhere. Yellow Submarine. Um, she said, she said is one of my favorite Beatles songs ever. Mm-hmm. Um, like no question. Uh, and then Good Day Sunshine is of course like the, the cheeriest. It's just, it's, if you ever feel like absolute shit, I dare you to listen to that song and not tell me that you feel a little bit better. Um, yeah. Andrew Bird can sing is, you know, the birth of indie rock. Yep. Uh, Andrew Bird yeah, can and sing. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow Never Knows. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny, too, because it, it does end with Tomorrow Never Knows, which is sort of, you know, the, you know, kind of, it's kind of the addendum that says, um, okay, this is what this is what we're about to start doing. Uh, it's this crazy, you know. More acid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's, you know, it's a sort of crazy studio cre- creation that, um you know, you, you, they're just, you know, it's like this, here's a little, it's basically like a, a teaser in any other, you know, format. It's like coming up next, you know, and it, it really just does spell out the future for them, but it, in one song, it's pretty wild. And so who had, uh, Abby Roadless as the number one? Yeah. Me. Okay. So yeah, let's, let's chat through that as well because I, I just mostly just because I want to say that I think me and Mr. Mustard and Polythene Pan is one of the best like one two punches I fucking love I that too. The, the one thing I wanted to the one thing I had you know listed in my notes which I you know wanted to get to um, we may not get to none of us had Sgt. Peppers on our list no and that's and kind of only because I thought that you guys would have it yeah and you know magic. I don't I, I still kind of hold out that it's not my favorite it's never been my favorite no. album listening experience by them like I think it has some of the best songs Sgt. Pepper itself is I think a ripping track I think um, that whole intro montage is, is ripping kudos to Paul McCartney again and then I think A Day in the Life is like probably top five Beatles song for me yeah me too um, but I just as an album, I don't Being for the benefit yeah. of Mr. Kate within you, without you, when I'm 64, like, yeah, you could sort of take it or leave it. It's actually number six. If I well, it's funny. I was thinking, um, you know, a Magical Mystery Tour was kind of, you know, a, a, um, taken from the same sessions and, and then, you know, put out as an album on its own. If you took several songs off of Magical Mystery Tour and put them on Sgt. Pepper's in place of things like When I'm 64. How, how great would Sgt. Pepper's be if I Am the Walrus and Strawberry Fields and Magical Mystery Penny Tour Lane. were on it? Yeah. Penny Lane. Yeah. yeah. And, hey, so and just fuck it, let's throw in Hey Jude. <laughs> yeah, which was a single, never on an album, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of great. It's amazing what got left on the uh, cutting room floor, actually. Yeah, how do you leave that? <laughs> yeah, how the fuck did Hey Jude not make it on an album? <laughs> What's the other single that? Yep. Yeah, that is crazy. And then what was the "Don't Let Me Down"? Is the other one that never was on an album, correct? Um, wow. Yeah. You let yourself down, John. And that's like, I mean, that's. His that never occurred to me. I didn't realize that wasn't. It's, yeah, I guess it never was. Or at least the delivery is, is fantastic. Yeah, it's in the Let It Be soundtrack oh, yeah. for the doc, but, um, which I definitely want to go watch again now. It's obviously it's recorded, a, right, you know, in the Let It Be period. It's still Billy Preston and, you know. 
Um, exactly. I haven't seen it since I saw it on a VHS. I rented it from, you know, whatever the video place in Duxbury was. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen that. So shall we, uh, shall we take a little break and come back and add songs to the playlist? Sure. Welcome back to Brother, Brother, Brother. We're going to end this show like we end every show. Christian, what are you listening to? Jeremy, what are you listening to? <laughs> I think uh, we're all safely uh, watching The Last Dance on uh, ESPN, uh, at least I am, and just kind of finished episode three and four last night. Enjoyed it. Remember some of it and learn some new things, but uh, it's just kind of fun to be in, in watching sports again or, you know, old sports as it be it, but some of the storylines are, are pretty cool considering that was like a prime period of my life, um, the Jordan era. So, uh, when What are you listening to? Fiona Apple. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah? <laughs> it's the end of my comment. I'm just... I'm that new Fiona nice. Apple record is insane. Is that song? Is, so the, is the song? I gotta. Is song I gotta Hello listen ladies? to it. I haven't listened to it yet. What is it? Uh, or ladies? It's like track eleven or twelve. It, there's. It's. It's a really good album. Um, I, it's I really weird. Apologize for for not being well versed enough yet in the uh, in the track listing. I, I was um, actually listening to it. It, it, it. Fairly rare for me listening to it while I was doing work, um, and uh, and just was like. I kept finding myself, you know, sort of like stopping everything I was doing and just sort of getting absorbed in it for a few minutes because she, she's, she's so talented. Um, yeah, uh, so it's funny. I, I remember years ago, um, you know, there was I forget who was I think it was, um, uh, oh, never mind. What was the you know biggest movie star in the world? Um, Scarlett Johansson. Um, Scarlett Johansson. Not how I would answer that, that question, but go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I, I was just trying to jog my own memory. Um, Scarlett Johansson put out a, a album of Tom Waits covers, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, that was actually really good. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that sounds like the worst idea of all time. And then I realized that when I listen to this Fiona new Fiona Apple oh, record, I'm like, yeah. this is a Tom Waits album. Yeah. Oh, cool. I'm excited. I like her a lot. I just haven't gotten around to listening it's, to it yet. It's like, when I say it's it's batshit crazy, um, you will you will know what I mean by the end of the first song. Um, it's mm-hmm. It, like, yeah, goes off. That, I mean, it's, a, it's it, like, dives into found sounds and all kinds of interesting shit. Um, so it's definitely something that'll... that'll I'm excited to spend more time with, but, but um, you know, which is, which is great on first listen. 
Um, okay, so I have my answer. Uh, only five years after the fact, I'm um, actually... I just watched uh, season one of Fargo. I had already seen season two, and now I'm I'm getting through that as well. It just reminds me how much I love the Coen brothers. Um, I realized that they were more more removed from um, from the uh, production of, of this show, but it doesn't matter. Um, it's it's their it's their type of comedy, uh, and it's just there's nothing funnier to me. Um, it's this it's sort of sick, twisted, subtle. Uh, and, you know, really, really well-plotted, well-paced, and well-acted. Yeah, I loved both It's brilliant those. stuff. They were great. Both seasons, um, that Yeah, is. you get, actually, I get, um, I gotta, Christian, you gotta throw in that little detail that you gave me earlier today. Oh, yeah. This is, uh, this is one of the best, uh, best sort of discoveries was, was having watched this after seeing, um, Ozark recently. There is a moment in, uh, in season one of Fargo um, when somebody refers to Marty Bird uh, out of nowhere and um, Erica actually pointed out she was like did, did they just say Marty Bird the character from Ozark and I was like I, I don't know I couldn't tell you so we looked it up and of course um, it's actually become like a it's a sort of playful minor plot detail but um, you know the suggestion is that they actually ex- that Fargo and, and Ozark exist in the same universe the um, distant connection being the Kansas City mob um, because there's apparently a scene in season one of Ozark which I haven't seen in ages uh, in which Marty Bird um, says Lester Nygaard I haven't talked to that guy in such a long time while he's on the phone with somebody yeah, nice yeah that's cool yeah yeah, it's yeah. funny. I, I couldn't help but think of Fargo watching Ozark and the Kansas City mob showing up that Midwest Lake Trucking mob. It's the only other place I've delved as deep yes. into that world <laughs> was Fargo season two. So, um, uh, really cool. Adding, add some songs to the playlist? Yeah, let's do it. Yep. All right, I'm going She Said, She Said. Chair? Um, I'm actually going with Brendan Benson's Tiny Spark. Nice. I'm going, I am the walrus. Nice. You are the walrus. All right. Talk to you guys later. Walrus is Paul. Talk to you later. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.